According to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the scriptures. Join me once again, if you would. Let's go to uh, Acts chapter 28. Let's look at the abrupt ending to the book of Acts. And then we'll uh, move on to uh, 1 Timothy and continue. I believe today will be our final uh, class in this uh, disharmony of the epistles, what I call the prison epistle preview. I am not on the speakers. No. We're not being recorded. Uh, well, we're kind of being recorded. There's an iPhone in front of me that's doing something. Um, so I may have to pray twice. First, I have to confess my hostility to Apple, and then I can thank the Father for his, uh, his provision. All right, let's open with a word of prayer, shall we? Father, we thank you for this morning and the blessings we have to assemble together. I thank you for your faithfulness. Father, we call upon your faithfulness this morning to open the eyes of our understanding, to bless this time of study, to equip us, Father, for that which is pleasing in your sight. And I thank you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right. That's working at least. All right. Thank you, Lord. Um, we are tying together now the last details of uh, what is ultimately a disharmony. We can harmonize a lot with respect to the early epistles of Paul. We can harmonize Galatians, First and Second Thessalonians, First um, and Second Corinthians, and Romans. Those we can harmonize very well uh, with the narrative that Luke gives us in the book of Acts. And so we can harmonize that. We can kind of place the writing of those epistles. We can take the details from Paul's writings and we can plug them into the framework that is the book of Acts and we can see, you know, where they fit. As we approach the prison epistles, though, then that's, we start to reach some debates uh, because clearly Paul's in prison when he's writing Philippians, Colossians, Ephesians, Philemon. He's clearly in prison, but he doesn't say which prison and he doesn't say when and from where. And so we end up with debates and, and usually scholarship is, is divided between the Roman imprisonment and the Caesarean imprisonment because those are the two dominant ones that we have recorded in the book of Acts that, that Paul spent two, uh, two years in Caesarea during all those trials that are recorded there in, in Acts 21, 22, 23, 24 in that section and then of course two years that he spends in Rome and so as we're reading it here in Acts 28 we see the details of his uh, Roman imprisonment it says, and, and there's a lot of details in here that are, that are curious to us because of attempts that are made to reconcile this with uh, Philippians chapter 1 and some of the, some of the conflict with, with those that are preaching the gospel and, and an opposing crowd that's preaching the gospel for wrong motives and uh, things of that nature. But he, uh, he arrives at Rome in Acts 28.11. And um, he's got considerable freedom. Verse 16, when, he, when we entered Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with a soldier who was guarding him. And so he's got a lot of freedom under a house arrest. And uh, as long as he remains there and remains prepared for his trial, and doesn't try to escape or run anywhere. And he even gets visitors, a very liberal uh, visitation policy for this, uh, this house arrest. Um, and he gets to bring together these Jews in verse 17. After three days, Paul called together those who were the leading men of the Jews. And when they came together, he began saying to them, Brethren, 
Although I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. And so he starts to discuss why he's even there and the hostility that happened in Jerusalem and his appeal to Caesar. They were going to put him to death in verse 18, even though there was no reason for it. And uh, so he had to appeal to Caesar, we're told there in verse 19. And uh, in all of this, it's remarkable. Verse 21, they said to him, We have neither received letters from Judea concerning you, nor have any of the brethren come here and reported or spoken anything bad about you. In other words, we don't know anything. <laughs> okay? They're, they're like Sergeant Schultz from Hogan's Heroes. You know, they, they, they see nothing, they hear nothing, they know nothing. And, and it makes it really hard to conduct a trial when there's no charges, there's no information, there's no briefing or anything of the sort. Uh, but anyway, they've got some other issues that they're curious about. And, you know, as long as you're here, uh, can you answer these for us? Um, verse 22, we desire to hear from you what your views are. For concerning this sect, it is known to us that it is spoken against everywhere. So we don't know anything about this sect. And remember, Christianity was simply viewed as a, as a sect. It was viewed as some kind of a, an outgrowth of Judaism. And maybe it was going to become a competing uh, group to the Pharisees and the Sadducees and, and uh, the Essenes and whatever other groups that may have been available. Uh, this, this group of Nazarenes, if you will, or what they called themselves the way, uh, you know, other Jews didn't know what to think about it. And, and are they just simply another sect? And, uh, and if everyone's down on them and negative about them, well, why is that? And uh, can you explain how these things come together? And uh, so Paul now has an open door opportunity to be able to do that. And we see this here. Um, verse 24 is powerful for a lot of reasons, not only for this morning, but for future studies as well. Some were being persuaded by the things spoken, but others would not believe. And I would encourage you, if you've never done a study on this before, I mean, pastuo is, is our verb for believing, and, and we're, we're very familiar with it, and it's vital that we understand it. Uh, p- believing is, is how we get saved, right? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. The nature of pastuo as a verb, and pistis as a noun, is, is a foundational study, a basic doctrinal study for the church age. And we want to understand what faith is, and how you place faith in an object, and, and uh, the nature of faith as an action we undertake. It is an act of the will to choose to trust in something. Um, But even though it's an action we take, it's not a work. It's not a meritorious work. The Bible does not define faith as a work. See, it is a non-meritorious action by which then God responds and provides the eternal life as, as we understand it. But here's now another verb, and this is patho. And you've got to do a patho study in tandem with pistuo. And you've got to understand how persuasion works. When God persuades, when the Holy Spirit persuades, when the Father draws, when the Holy Spirit convicts, and all of these terms come together for us in in the understanding of patho, to be persuaded. And some were being persuaded, but others were not being persuaded. And because they were not being persuaded, they would not believe. And that tandem is crucial, see, because we never ask anybody to believe in nothing. And we never try to persuade them through our own human effort, our own wisdom, our own logic. 
We, we, we cooperate with the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit persuades them, as the Holy Spirit produces that repentance that's necessary, that change of thinking that's required in order for the person to be persuaded and to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's remarkable that the, the term here, would not believe, that far too many people want to rewrite and say could not believe based upon a definition of whatever, you know, based upon a definition of, of total depravity or definition of, of something with a fall or some kind of a, a Calvinism approach where we are not capable of believing, see. But the text says would not, not could not. And some of those issues uh, come up again and again throughout the New Testament. All right, so... Uh, that's a key verse, I think, in this chapter, and we get to some other issues here. Um, when they did not agree with one another, verse 25, they began leaving after Paul had spoken one parting word. And his parting word comes from Isaiah. <laughs> it says, you guys are proving the Scripture's point, that uh, hardness of heart has, has been assigned here to Israel as a nation. And by and large, most Jewish people are rejecting Jesus as the Christ. And uh, this is Isaiah uh, chapter 6 uh, that's uh, being quoted here. Um, all right, so then verse 30. He stayed two full years in his own rented quarters and was welcoming all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all openness unhindered. Isn't that beautiful? And so you think, wow, that's great. He gets to stay there two full years. He's preaching. He's having fruit. People are coming to him. All right. Um, and he's preaching the kingdom of God. Uh, there's no clue here maybe that there's other preachers that are competing with him and things that we have to, un we, well, folks try to read into this chapter in order to coincide it with Philippians chapter 1. And, and we'll, we'll handle that when we introduce Philippians for you next week. Um, but this is, uh, this is where it's left. And it's a very abrupt ending, right? Because I don't know about you, but that verse there is, is on the bottom right-hand corner of my page. And I'm ready now to flip my page and read chapter 29. But I flip my page and there is no chapter 29. Oh, look at that. It's Romans. So then I flip it back because I want to reread that again. It's like, that can't be the way. How, how does a book end like that? How does it end like that? He stayed there two years. All right. And so when this was written, two years have gone by. Two years are complete. It doesn't say three years or two years in a day or two years in a month. It says two years. He stayed there two years in his own written in his own rented quarters, preaching the kingdom of God, teaching concerning the Lord Jesus with all openness, unhindered. Nothing hindered him for two full years. Then what? <laughs> okay. What happened with his trial? Why doesn't the author tell us then what? He was he did he stand before Caesar? Was he convicted? Did they chop off his head? If so, then we got to find some way to learn where he wrote 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus. Uh, we got some, some books unaccounted for here yet that if he loses his head in the uh, what we're imagining here, the, the imaginary verse 32, okay? Um, if, if this is where Paul is executed, then, then we got some work to do to try to reconcile the prison, the, uh, not only the prison epistles, but the pastoral epistles during this time. And many have attempted to do that, but I, I think they fall short in that endeavor. And that's what we're going to see here this morning, that abrupt ending. The abrupt ending tells us that, that Luke, the author here, knows that the imprisonment was two years and not any longer, that it concluded after those two years, and 
leaves it unstated as to the nature of the, uh, the, the, tr- the trial, as to the verdict that's given. And so we're left to read between the lines in the other writings of Paul, including the, uh, the prison epistles, I mean, the, the pastoral epistles, and the prison epistles, by the way, as we uh, need to do that. All right, so uh, we're looking now this morning at Ephesians, uh, I'm sorry, at First um, Timothy chapter 1. And uh, we're, we're putting together the last uh, little bits here from 1 Timothy, Titus, and 2 Timothy. Okay? That's in the chronological order, not in the Bible order. We kind of move Titus up in between the two Timothys to put them in, a, in the best sequence. And uh, what happens as we read 1 Timothy, Titus, and 2 Timothy is we're exposed to a bunch of names, right? Some of them we know, a couple we don't know. We're also exposed to some places some locations and some uh, travel plans, some other details like uh, bring some parchments and I left a cloak here and somebody I sent there. We've got some, we've got some geographical references that are useful for us because we, we want to take them back now to what we've already been working on in this framework and try to see if we can plug them in anywhere. And uh, in, in most cases, we can't see. Um, Maybe the best case we can make is for First Timothy, but we're, we're completely at a loss for, for Titus and for Second Timothy, at least in plugging it into the, the missionary travels that we have. And so I believe that, uh, that these are unreconcilable, unreconcilable with uh, what we have in the book of Acts. And so we let it be a disharmony, and we're fine with that. That, that Paul had a career after Acts 28, and it included another short missionary journey, what's sometimes thought of as the fourth missionary journey, reconstructed based upon clues that we have in Titus and, and, uh, and that, um, in Second Timothy. And so I believe the best harmony is a disharmony in a reconstructed fourth missionary journey for Paul after Acts 28. So during this time in the mid-60s, Paul wrote 1 Timothy, Titus, and 2 Timothy. If the two years in Rome were from 60 to 62, then what was he doing between 62 and 67, right? If he lost his head in 67, 66 or 67, depending, the, the, the unanimous church tradition is, of course, that he was beheaded and that it was during Nero's reign, and so we've got a time frame there that we can be working with. So what was he doing for those five years? I believe that he was traveling, and uh, he did make it to Spain. Clement recorded that he did make it to Spain. Might have even gone beyond Spain, may have even reached the coast of England as far as the whatever Clement meant by the uttermost limits of the West is what's described there in 1 Clement 5.5. 5. So uh, we are looking now at uh, the pastoral epistles. And so starting in 1 Timothy, the clues that we have here, um, clues as relates to geography, very little. And, and they come early. In fact, for, uh, 1 Timothy 1.3 is, uh, is the extent of our geographic references here in 1 Timothy. He says, as I urged you upon my departure from Macedonia, remain on at Ephesus so that you may instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines. And so here's our setting. And, and what we can glean from this is that Paul had a departure to Macedonia. We know of a couple of those in the book of Acts. That Paul had urged Timothy that Timothy would have a role in Ephesus. All right. And this is what he's thinking back to as he begins the content of this book. 
that in written form, this book is going to convey much of what Paul had told Timothy on a prior occasion. See, although it's not clear uh, how much earlier that was um, in relationship to the writing of this book. Okay, and so these are some of the exercises that we do. Um, let me pull up here, of course, We've shown you many of these maps already. This is the first missionary journey uh, where Timothy likely was first exposed to Paul's teaching, and uh, but not mentioned in uh, in the book of Acts until the second missionary journey. The second missionary journey, Paul passed through Derby again. This is where he picks up Timothy, and Timothy becomes his traveling companion. I suspect uh, at about ten years of age. That's my ballpark figure, maybe twelve. Right? Plus or minus a, a year or two, but not far from it. Because in First Timothy, Paul says, Let no one look down on thy youth. Let no one despise thy youth. And, uh, and we're dealing with a 10-year span in between uh, that exhortation and the time that Timothy started traveling with him. And so uh, it was on this journey that um, he finally does make it to Ephesus, but not till the end of the second missionary journey. And even then he didn't stay very long because he was in such a rush to get to Jerusalem. And so he doesn't stay very long. He gets a positive response from some Jews there, and he thinks, hey, I can come back and set up a headquarters here. But he doesn't stay very long at all. And importantly enough, it is after uh, his departure from Macedonia. And uh, the first departure from Macedonia took place there in Troas. Uh, they ended up in Philippi and circumstances there. It doesn't fit with Paul's exhortation uh, here. And clearly, it's the wrong departure from Macedonia that Paul would be urging uh, Timothy to engage in ministry at Ephesus. So maybe it's the third missionary journey. Now, in the third missionary journey, Paul lived in Ephesus for three years. And there were a lot of other journeys that took place as a part of that. He sent Timothy on some assignments. He sent Titus on some assignments. He sent Epaphras on some assignments. There were other people that were dispatched on assignments. He himself had a short voyage back and forth, the Corinth and back, that uh, is not on this map here, but a lot of sailing back and forth between Ephesus and Corinth there. And we know, because again, the hints that are found in Second Corinthians, that Paul had had a very short visit, a very painful, unpleasant visit. And it caused him to write a, a sorrowful letter, right? The sorrowful letter that's in between First Corinthians and Second Corinthians, not part of our Bible, but a sorrowful letter that, uh, is that, that Paul wrote following a painful visit that uh, took place during that time. So when he leaves Ephesus, following the no small uproar of uh, chapter 19, when he leaves Ephesus, he is again coming to Troas, uh, where he's looking for Titus, and then he does depart for Macedonia. So in Acts chapter 20, there is a departure for Macedonia. And, and there are folks that will try then to link that with our verse here this morning, 1 Timothy 1.3, uh, my departure for Macedonia. As I urged you upon my departure from Macedonia, remain on at Ephesus. Problem with that, though, when you go back to Acts chapter 20, when Paul is making this departure from Macedonia, Timothy's not with him. He actually had sent Timothy and Erastus ahead before his departure from Macedonia. He had sent them ahead to Macedonia. He didn't say, stay here in Ephesus. He sent them ahead as his advance party. Okay? So then uh, through these regions down to Corinth, he writes the book of Romans. Now, maybe this is the setting for, for 1 Timothy 1.3, perhaps, because uh, Paul was about to get on a boat and there was a plot against him. So he changes his mind or he throws him off the tracks. He doesn't get on the boat. <laughs> okay. Instead, what does he do? 
he departs for Macedonia. He decides to walk back around the, the long way, the land route, and, and he sends again, he sends an advanced team ahead of him. And there's seven names that are mentioned in Acts 20 in verse 4 uh, of, a, of a party that, that went on ahead. They sailed, and they were waiting for him at Troas while he, Paul was departing from Macedonia. Then Paul and Luke sailed across, and they reached them there at Troas. Is that the occasion? Is that the occasion? As Paul was departing from Macedonia, that he urged Timothy. He said, you've got to get to Ephesus. And he says, you've got to get there and you've got to instruct these men to stop teaching these strange doctrines, these myths and these endless genealogies. Okay? Now that may be. And of all the times in the book of Acts that we have recorded, that's probably the most likely. All right? As a candidate for this, this flashback. But now again, looking at verse 3, as I urged you upon my departure from Macedonia, remain on at Ephesus. Now, the length of time between Paul's urging and whether Timothy fulfilled it or not, uh, clearly he's in Ephesus here as, as 1 Timothy is being written, but what's the time span in between? It could be years. You know, remember when I told you? Remember when I told you? That could be years ago. <laughs> you know, years ago I thought there'd be fruitful ministry there in Ephesus, and now here he is. He's in Ephesus. And he, now Paul's putting in written form what he'd given him. So all of this is to say is that we have, uh, there are different ways to reconcile this, and this is the scant information now that is uh, available for us here. All right. Other things as we work through First uh, Timothy, uh, some other names that we're exposed to, um, including some of the troublemakers that Timothy has to be on guard against. And... Um, some of the other, uh, the, the exhortation to uh, fight the good fight that we can find here. Some of these are also clues that we use to reconcile or not reconcile uh, pertaining to, uh, to this. I think in, in chapter 4, the uh, uh, let no one despise thy youth, that's 412, okay? If this is written in, say, 64, if this is written in 64, then... You know, we kind of consider, well, he, he joined up with Paul in 50, so he's been traveling with Paul for 14 years, okay? So, you know, how do we, how do we balance that out? Is, 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 our, is our calendar appropriate for this? Is it appropriate for a 24-year-old to be concerned with how young he is and others that would be despising him for his youth at 24? How old can he be for that verse to still make sense, Right? realizing that he's already been a traveling companion of Paul for 14 years, since 50 A.D. to, to 64 A.D., or whatever year you date the writing of 1 Timothy. All right, um, so that's the clue there. We've got um, the rest of this here. Let's get down through chapter 6. And really, there's fewer names that are mentioned. And uh, the greeting, uh, the, the conclusion is left rather anonymous. Uh, those who are rich in this present world, um, guard what has been entrusted to you, avoiding worldly and empty chatter. No names. There's no extended list of greetings. Say hi to so-and-so for me. It's, uh, this is not a, an epistle that's written to a flock. This is a personal epistle that's written to a young man in his pastorate, in his shepherding responsibilities here at, uh, at Ephesus. All right? And so that, uh, that becomes important. Now, let's skip over 2 Timothy. Let's go to Titus. And we'll get some clues here. 
And while I'm at it, let me open a note file I created. This is kind of a useful study as well. Um, place names in the pastoral epistles. I made a little pa uh, passage list here. And I called it Place Names in the Pastoral Epistles. And uh, you'll see 1 Timothy 1.3 is the only place name in 1 Timothy. Let me get down through 2 Timothy. And we got place names in Titus. Titus 1.5 and Titus 3.12. So I made myself a list there, and I thought that would be beneficial for us this morning. Also... I made another file here of personal names in the pastoral epistles. Made a little verse list there. And I thought those are both useful. And then let's combine them. So I made another file where I combined those two. And um, at least I think I did. Union of personal names. So this is a union list of personal names and place names. And uh, so this is the list I'll read from. And uh, we get down here, because there's a lot of names in uh, Titus, even though we only have two verses of, uh, of place names. All right. So Titus chapter 1. Are you with me still? Titus chapter 1. Um, Paul, a bondservant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the faith of those chosen of God, and in the knowledge of the truth, which is according to godliness, in the hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot promise, who cannot lie, promised long ago, but at the proper time manifested even in his word in the proclamation with which I was entrusted according to the commandment of God our Savior. All right, and here's the address now. To Titus, my true child in a common faith, Grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. So what do we have here? Just like with 1 Timothy, just like with 2 Timothy, it is a personal letter written to a person, specifically written to a person in pastoral capacity. All right? So we call them the pastoral epistles. Philemon is also written to a person, but he's not in a pastoral capacity. He, he's, uh, he's the host of a church in his home. Probably his son is the pastor of that church. It, uh, Philemon is not... Is not compiled together with First and Second Timothy or Titus, it's not considered a pastoral epistle. The content of Philemon is not pastoral instruction for how to operate a local church like we have in the pastoral epistles. All right. And so um, we have place names and people names here. And uh, so far the people we've seen are Paul and, uh, and Titus. And then in verse 5, for this reason, what reason? Well, it's either pointing back to verse 4 or it's pointing ahead to what follows. Uh, and that's kind of an idiom Paul is fond of. For this reason I left you in Crete, namely, I think it's pointing forward, that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. All right, so that's the reason. Now we've got a, geog a geographic reference. Now we've got Crete. Okay. Um, when did Paul travel there? Okay, and when did he send uh, Titus there? And um, he says, I left you in Crete. That means that I was there at the same time you were there, and I left you there, right? So we want to find on, on, on a missionary journey whereby uh, Paul and uh, Titus went to Crete. Well, that's not the first missionary journey. 
It's not the second missionary journey. It's not the third missionary journey. They did have a short uh, stay uh, on, on that island as he was sailing to Rome. And, uh, but there's no record of any, any preaching there other than uh, Paul was giving sailing advice to the captain and, the, and then they didn't want to listen to any of it. <laughs> okay. um, was that the event? And, and there are folks that try to defend that. But it's interesting, too, because there's other cities that are mentioned, other travel plans. For example, uh, he, wants Timothy, uh, he wants Titus to come join him at Dalmatia. Okay? So how do we plug that into the formula? Well, I think we don't. I think we leave it unreconciled. We leave it as a disharmony. We put it forward into that, that, that murky, un, undefined time between 62 and 67. In other words, after Acts 28 and before the time when church tradition tells us that Paul was, was executed. All right, so there's the geographic reference there. Uh, besides this, then, um, for geographic references, let me close down. I'll leave the Union one open. Um, Titus, uh, after chapter 1, verse 5, we've got to go all the way to chapter 3 and verse 12. And uh, look at that. Now we're at the end of the book. Okay, So just a couple of clues at the beginning of the book, and now a couple more clues at the end of the book. And... Um, it says in verse 12, when I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, and we know Tychicus, we've seen him several places. He's usually a courier. He's usually carrying epistles like Ephesians or, or, or uh, Colossians or Philemon. Um, Artemis, when did he join the team? Okay. You know, it's like you got your favorite Beatles and, and you know, somebody comes along later that tries to join the, the band and well, you know, your favorite Statler brothers. And then, uh, you know, who was, who, was the, who was the singer before Jimmy Fortune? The guy that died early and then Jimmy Fortune came in and replaced him. And my brother would tell me, but I can't remember. Anyway, so when did Artemis join the band? When did this happen? Who's Artemis? Um, anyway, when, when I send them, one or the other, whichever one I make up my mind, um, make every effort to come to me at Nicopolis. Oh, my goodness. When did Paul go to Nicopolis? Okay, you're not going to find it on Missionary Journeys 1, 2, or 3. It's a part of that reconstructed Missionary Journey number 4. Make every effort to come to me in Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. All right, it's not on this map, but uh, Nicopolis is over here. In fact, right there where my dot is. And so it's, uh, it's on the western end of a, of a Greek road, it's a great place to sail to Italy from. It's, uh, you can, of course, walk across to here, but that's, uh, that's Nicopolis. At least we assume that's the Nicopolis that Paul's speaking of here in this verse. Do you know how many Nicopolises there were? In, uh, there were a lot, okay? <laughs> Nike means victory, city of victory, and so if there was a spot where you won a battle, uh, you might just rename that town Nicopolis and, and commemorate the, uh, the great battle that you won there. So there were a lot of Nicopolises. That one, though, was the, the largest, most significant, um, most likely the one that he was referencing here, a great place to winter, a great place to uh, prepare for journeys west once, uh, once uh, you survive the winter. Verse 13, diligently help Zenus. Ever heard of him? 
Nope, me either. Uh, not in the, the book of Acts. Not in, uh, so far, the, the three missionary journeys we know about. Oh, he's a lawyer. Uh-oh. Okay. Okay. <laughs> you can make jokes about that, right? No wonder he needs help. But, um, you know, lawyers can get saved, and evidently. Um, and Apollos, we know who he is, on their way so that nothing is lacking for them. And in whoever Zenos is, it's interesting, he gets top billing over Apollos. Isn't that remarkable? Uh, and so if they're passing through Crete, if they need financial support, if, uh, if they've got some kind of ministry of their own that's going on, then uh, Paul is urging Titus to, uh, to support them in that. And so that's what we got. And uh, as far as verses 14 and 15 go, no more proper names, no more uh, uh, geographic locations. All right, so Titus 1, uh, verses 1, 4, and 5, Titus 3, verses 12 and 13, and those are our clues as far as uh, trying to reconstruct a missionary journey for the Apostle Paul. And, and in some respects, though, we're slightly puzzled because it seems that he has gone to realms of the east when last we heard uh, everything Paul's focus on was westward. He wanted to get to Rome, and then from Rome, he wanted to go to Spain. He wanted to go westward. In fact, he said, there's no further place for me in these regions. Okay? Until, uh, apparently, some place popped up in Crete, and he said, okay, I'll go to Crete. <laughs> and he took Titus with him, and he left Titus there. Okay? He left Titus there. All right, other clues. Now we can look at the clues in Second uh, Timothy. Clues that are to be found in 2 Timothy. And I will scroll up on my list here. And close that. Close that. All right, we'll just leave this one open. Use this to jog my thinking so that I don't uh, miss some of the verses that we're looking at. Because there's a lot in 2 Timothy. All right, so 2 Timothy, starting in chapter 1. One of the things we're, gonna, we're going to glean in Philippians, uh, particularly, um, the outcome is uncertain. Paul's in prison, and he doesn't know if he's going to live or he's going to die. And he doesn't know what to, to, to root for. Okay? He doesn't know which football team to cheer for for the Super Bowl. Uh, he just knows that he might live, he might die, and he's, he's kind of uh, at wit's end in, in knowing what to ask for or what to pray for or what to think about. Um, and, and clearly that's the case in Philippians, and we'll have the doctor that connects with that and some, some great encouragement in, in that regard. Um, in, uh, in some of the other epistles, in Philemon, he's expecting a release, and he's hoping to be there soon. In uh, Colossians, I think there's more of an expectation that he's never seen them yet, but he's hoping to do so soon. All right. Um, and in Ephesians, um, maybe Ephesians like Philippians with a little bit more up in the air. No, he's expecting a release there too. Uh, he's asking for them to pray on his behalf that boldness will be given to him as they keep their armor on and so forth. So in those prison epistles... Um, there appears to be an expectation of, of, of a release, not so in 2 Timothy. <clears throat> in 2 Timothy, there is not only not a hint of that, but there is a firm conviction otherwise. He knows for a fact 
that he is on the verge of his promotion to glory. He knows for a fact that he has finished his, his course. Now, this is his last will and testament, right? If you know for a fact, if God sends you a vision <laughs> for the day you're going to die, and he tells you, you know, who, what, where, when, why, and how, and it's on, marked on your calendar, if you know that it's, it's, it's next month, what do you spend your, your next 30 days doing? What do you spend? I mean, you know for a fact. Who do you write to? Who do you want to be there? Who do you write to and say, make every effort to come to me as fast as you can? Right? Oh, and by the way, I left some parchments at Troas. Grab those. Paul's going to keep, he's going to, he wants to do some more writing. He's not going to retire just because he's got 30 days left or whatever the case may be. And this is extraordinary for us, all right? And it's also, I think, fundamentally impossible to, to, to synthesize with the three missionary journeys in the book of Acts. I think it's, it's, it's not possible to, to make it prior to Acts 28, okay? And so um, these, these studies become useful for us. I, I shared with you an author named Duncan. Duncan, who wrote in the 1920s and 1930s, and then he was still writing journal articles in the 1950s, um, but he, uh, he wrote probably the greatest defense ever for uh, the Ephesians authorship of, of the prison epistles. And so I'm very indebted to him. Uh, and the first two thirds of his book is extraordinary at synthesizing the three missionary journeys, at synthesizing um, the early Pauline epistles, the prison epistles. Uh, he concludes conclusively that, that Ephesus is the source, not Rome, not, not uh, Caesarea. Sadly, though, the final third of his book, um, he jumps the shark, okay? He goes off the deep end, and he really stretches credulity beyond anything, and, and, and he's called on it. He's rightly called on it. And, but I think what's, the sad thing is is people that throw the whole thing out because of the, the, the flaws at the conclusion, what they need to do is just pinpoint the flaws in the conclusion and, of course, chop that off, but still accept the first two-thirds of the book. And so, um, anyway, uh, Duncan tries to reconcile the pastoral epistles as well with an Ephesus setting, uh, with uh, the writing of, of uh, that, that imprisonment for the writing of, uh, of these. And, and it's just not, uh, not workable. So, as we look at these verses now in 2 Timothy, uh, we got names in uh, verses 1 and 2. Paul, again, and Timothy. We have personal names there, same as we had in 1 Timothy. Not just grace and peace that Paul writes when he writes to churches, but grace, mercy, and peace. It's an expanded benediction there. Um, other names are mentioned, including Timothy's mother and grandmother in verse 5. I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I'm sure it is in you as well. And so the heritage that Timothy has going back two generations... All right, going back to pre-33 A.D., going back to uh, the time when his mother and grandmother were Old Testament believers, understand, crossing into the church age as New Testament believers. Clues there. For this reason, I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. And uh, what happens with spiritual gift neglect? What happens when it needs to be kindled afresh? What happens when uh, a pastor senses that, well, things have kind of, the embers have died down, the campfire's not roaring anymore, what do you do? 
How do you stir up those coals? How do you stir up those embers? If there is in fact a new assignment now, you're on the threshold of something new. And uh, Paul has to remind Timothy about that. Uh, we get down to verse 15. Some geographic references there. You are aware of the fact that all who are in Asia turned away from me. Remember, that was where Paul served for those three years. Among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. Now, did we learn about them in the book of Acts? How do we reconcile this? And turned away from him. When did that happen? It kind of seemed like they were on good terms when he left in chapter 20. They were still on good terms when he brought them to Miletus, when he was preaching to them his farewell message at Miletus in Acts chapter 20. He warned them about this very thing. He warned them about, he said, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock. He says, among your own selves, men will arise. And he warned them about this. And now years later, Paul has the opportunity to be the I told you so. Uh, because two of them did, Phygelus and Hermogenes. And turning away from Paul, turning away from his doctrine, from his teaching, from his grace priorities, just like he warned about in uh, Acts 20. Another name here. Man, here's a hero. Why haven't we heard his name before? The Lord grant mercy to the house of Anesiphorus. To the house of Anesiphorus. And uh, that's curious to me. Not him personally, but to his house specifically. For he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. I think this, again, is conclusive proof. Paul had an imprisonment in Ephesus. Because the setting for this is Ephesus. Chains in Ephesus. And Onesiphorus is the one that stepped forward, not ashamed of those chains. For he often refreshed me, was not ashamed of my chains. But when he was in Rome, and this is a later story, subsequent to not being ashamed of his chains, but when he was in Rome, he eagerly sought me out, searched for me, and found me. And so the Lord grant to him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you know very well what services he rendered me at Ephesus. Okay? So here's our clues. Did we, did we have any clue of, of Vanessa Forrest in Acts 19? Or Act? No, nowhere in Luke's writings do we have a reference here to Onessa Forrest. And maybe because he provided the refreshment, maybe he was the, the venue for the hospitality, the venue for the, the hiding. Remember, Paul went into hiding. He wanted to go to the marketplace and give a big speech, and they held him back. And they kept him in seclusion. He was in an undisclosed location with Dick Cheney, hiding in the, in the place. They were constantly, Vice President Dick Cheney was always in these undisclosed locations. Okay, Paul was in an undisclosed location. They couldn't find him, so they dragged two of his companions in, into the marketplace instead of him. Perhaps Onesiphorus was the venue for the, uh, the hideout. All right. The Lord grant to him to Anesiphorus. So there's already a prayer for his house. Now there's a specific prayer for him on that day. There's a coming day for Anesiphorus. I think there's a coming day for all of us. <laughs> all right. So those are the references in chapter 1. Geographic references. Per name references. Chapter 2. Hymenaeus and Philetus. Verse 17. 
Now, in this context, um, the great hymn in verses 11 through 13, and then he tells Timothy, remind them of these things, solemnly charge them in the presence of God, not to wrangle about words, which is useless and leads to the ruin of the hearers. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. That's why we're here this morning. Every one of us is fulfilling this verse here this morning. We are presenting ourselves as workmen, and we're here to receive our instructions. But avoid worldly and empty chatter. It will lead to further ungodliness. And their talk will spread like gangrene. And this is what happens when a local church gets disconnected from a priority of doctrine. And among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, men who have gone astray from the truth. They're believers. They have previously been disciples. They have previously been in the truth. Understand that. An unbeliever cannot commit apostasy because <laughs> an unbeliever was never in the truth to begin with. You cannot fall away from something you were never in. You cannot depart from something you've never been to. And they were there, and they have departed. They have suffered shipwreck. And um, they've gone astray from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already taken place. Yeah, that's uh, upsetting. <laughs> okay? Because if the resurrection's already taken place, I seem to have missed it. I'm still in my body. I'm still in my, you know, cedar, vulnerable, uh, needs-to-wear-glasses, um, you know, body. I'm looking forward to getting rid of this thing. But if I miss the resurrection, that's not good. And as such, they've upset the faith of some. And so, um, can, we, can we reconcile this with Acts? I don't believe we can. Um, so that's uh, that, verse 17. We get to chapter 3. Janus and Jambres opposed Moses. That was, here's some, you know, do you have a problem with Luke omitting names? How about Moses omitting names? You know, because here's a couple of fellows we could have learned about in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, somewhere. Tell us about this. And it's left to Paul to talk about it here in, uh, in 2 Timothy. So these men also opposed the truth. Men of depraved mind rejected in, with regard to the faith. But they will not make further progress, for their folly will be obvious to all. And, and this, is, uh, this is interesting, too. How does God use schisms? How does he use church splits, revolts? How does he use power plays? How does he use attacks against the pastor? Well, he permits things within limits. He draws a line beyond which that limit cannot pass. Uh, and he exhibits things as what I call here uh, in the uh, in the blessings of obviosity. All right, the ob the blessings of obviosity. Their folly will be obvious to all. And so, when you have clearly on display an obvious folly, as any fool can plainly see, right? I can plainly see that. And so, you look at these things, and it serves a purpose. And um, the, uh, the ministry of the Word of God is then validated. The truth of a faithful shepherd is then validated. And it, because the folly is obvious to all, those who want to know the truth and want to follow the truth, it's quite easy for them to do so. And then the heretics can be removed, dealt with, and handled. All right. But you, 
And, and, and this leads right into one of my favorite verses in the whole scripture. You followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, perseverance, persecutions, and sufferings. All right? And this is, this is a seminary curriculum right here. But far too many people want to end the verse with teaching. Just get that first noun in there and then we're done. All you need to be a pastor is just the right kind of teaching. Boom, here's your, here's your thing. Go, you know, be a pastor. There's more than that. And I am so thankful what Ralph exposed to me as Ralph just opened himself up in total transparency and allowed me to follow not just his teaching, but his conduct, his purpose, his faith, his patience, his love, his perseverance. And notice uh, there's a scale for all of these. And there are days when some of these are strong and there's days when some of these are, are missing or absent or weak. And Timothy got a chance to follow all of them. Persecutions and suffering such as happened to me at Antioch, I, Iconium, Lystra. The youngest of ages. Timothy was maybe eight, nine years old when he first saw this stuff. He saw stuff when he was young enough to not even realize he was going to need to see that stuff someday. Okay? I saw some stuff from my childhood, Pastor, when I was a teenager. I had no idea why God was showing me that stuff. But I'm thankful he did. Because now I can look back and go, Wow. I'm learning from that. I didn't know at the time, of course, because I was arrogant and knew everything, didn't know what I didn't know. And, um, but now with hindsight, man, thank you, Lord. Geographic locations, Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, those we can plug in to the first and second missionary journeys. And uh, understanding the background of Timothy, I think, helps with that. I endured. Out of them all, the Lord rescued me. Even stoning him to death and dragging him out of the city. Is that an excuse to quit the ministry? <laughs> nope. Nope. Not when God brings you back to life and sends you back in that city. Okay? So, Timothy, anytime you kind of get the mopes and you get, uh, you get discouraged, you want to just hang it up and quit, quit being a pastor? Okay? Well, you're not free to do that. You've been called. And uh, the example that, that Paul set there was, was uh, powerful. All right. Demas, though, is another story. Chapter 4. We know about Demas. We've, Demas was mentioned. Demas was part of the team. We got, Demas was involved uh, in, in, in uh, that list of names. You recall Demas? Um, and, uh, well... He's, he's no longer in the ministry, right? Kind of breaks the heart, doesn't it? So, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4, the last thing Paul writes before he loses his head. And um, he knows that uh, he's finished his course. This was uh, my charge when, when I was ordained. This was Pastor Dan's charge recently, when a year ago when we ordained him. 2 Timothy 4.1 I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who is to judge the living and the dead and by His appearing and His kingdom preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. That includes cedar season. <laughs> Alright? I checked the Greek on that and I think I'm good. Um, reprove, rebuke, exhort. Now some of those aren't going to be well received but they're necessary. And all of this is, is explaining how you preach the word. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. There's your academics, the didascalia, there at the end. 
But it's uh, all a part of preaching the word, reproving, rebuking, exhorting with great patience and instruction, literally all patience and instruction. And so uh, the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. I think that's characteristic of our generation, day and age. They want the fun and games. They want the light and fluffy. And so they accumulate to themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. That's why I'm so thankful Corpus Christi Bible Church wasn't praying for the pastor they wanted. They were praying for the will of Jesus Christ. Show us the shepherd you've assigned to us. Because whether we want him or not, you've assigned him to us. And we're accountable. He's accountable. We have been entrusted to his charge. Rather than ear ticklers according to our own desires. They turn away their ears from the truth and turn aside to myths. The very thing he was warning about in 1 Timothy. But you be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. You may not have all the support that Paul had. You may not have all the support. Maybe you don't have an evangelist to work with, so you you cover that yourself. For I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. He knows it. His mission is accomplished. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness. He knows it's his. He knows he's, he's earned it. He's attained to it. Which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. You want to know what the easiest crown to win at the judgment seat of Christ is? It's this one right here. All you have to do is love his appearing. Live your, that's why I say here, there, or in the air. That's why I say keep your armor on. That's why I say let's be focused on his appearing. It could be today. Do you love the fact that it could be today? This award is yours, okay? All who have loved his appearing. Make every effort to come to me soon. For Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Okay? Here's a detail. Can we plug it into Acts 1 through 28? No. Um, And sad when someone abandons the ministry because of a love for the cosmos. We're told not to love the cosmos. Crescens has gone to Galatia. Don't know why. Crescens, is that a name we know from somewhere else? Crescens has gone to Galatia. Titus to Dalmatia. Well, was he told to go to Dalmatia? Well, kind of. But that was when Paul was wintering there. We don't think he's there anymore. So Titus went back. Only Luke is with me. So we know who his, who his scribe was, the amanuensis. Uh, I think he, he was the scribe for all the pastoral epistles. The Luke was the, the amanuensis scribe for the pastorals, which is why we have the affinity between the pastorals and the book of Hebrews, by the way. Um, Tychicus, let's see, wait, I, I missed Mark. Only Luke is with me. Pick up Mark. And bring him with you, for he is useful to me for service. Wow, praise God for that. Because uh, the fight between Paul and Barnabas was all about John Mark back in the day. And here uh, Paul wants to see him before he dies. I think that's, uh, that's significant. But Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. Now, that's a point that a lot of people say, see, see, there it is. He was the courier for, for Ephesus, and, and he's carrying the Ephesian epistle. Well, maybe. Can we reconcile the rest of this? There's other reasons to send Tychicus to Ephesus besides carrying the book of Ephesians. Paul sent Timothy to Ephesus, and that wasn't to carry the book of Ephesians. 
When you come, bring the cloak, which I left at Troas, with carpus and the books, especially the parchments. Who's carpus? Have we heard of him in the book of Acts? And why did he leave his cloak at Troas anyway? And the books and the parchments? Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Is he the same Alexander we read in Acts 19? Possibly. Be on guard against him yourself, for he vigorously opposed our teaching. We know in Ephesus there were many adversaries. We saw that in 1 Corinthians 16. At my first defense, no one supported me. Now, too many people, they pitch a tent there and they camp on that verse. And they, they really think they know what they're talking about when they talk about Paul's first defense. Really? It's like the first trumpet or the first resurrection or the first defense. It's a first defense in relationship to what? Okay. The first one ever in the history of his life or the first one here for the second Roman imprisonment. No one supported me. They all deserted me may not be accounted against them. All right, then there's uh, Prisca and Aquila in verse 19. The household of Anesiphorus, there's that hero again. Paul wants them greeted in, uh, in Ephesus, in an Ephesus setting. Erastus remained at Corinth, where we're told he's the city treasurer. Trophimus, I left sick at Miletus. Okay, so again, go back to the missionary journeys. How many times did he pass through Miletus? Which one of those did he leave Trophimus sick at? Problem is, we see Trophimus causing an uproar in Jerusalem. Not sick at Miletus. Make every effort to come to me before winter. Eubulus greets you. Also Pudens and Linus and Claudia. And all. Who are these guys? Okay. You know, it's kind of interesting. Same thing happens in any church. You know, there's, there's folks that don't remember the Woodrow Avenue building. Or the people that used to be church members in the Woodrow Avenue building. And then sometimes folks come back from years gone by and they, they start looking around and they're like, who are these guys? You know, when they start coming here? Like Eubulus and Pudens and Linus and Claudia and all the brethren. So here's our clues. All right, well, I'm out of time. But this, um, I think we do the best, you know, if we, if we end our timeline with Paul's trip to Rome, if that's the far end of, of that... If, uh, if Paul doesn't have anything after Acts 28, if that's where his head is chopped off, I think we got more questions than answers at that point. I think we need a, to reconstruct further travels of Paul, further companions, further men in training, further men leaving their training, further uh, abandonments, further attacks. All right. And uh, as such, I think we, we do a pretty good job with it in the five years from 62 to 67, when, in fact, Paul can be beheaded in Rome. Tradition also has Peter crucified in Rome. I suspect not. Anyway, but I'm out of time. Let me uh, close with prayer, and uh, we can stop our recording. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for this class. And if... Uh, if a, a recording was successful, and if this uh, somehow shows up on the website someday, then uh, thank you for being faithful. And uh, thank you for the study, for all this background. Uh, it's been useful, it's been fruitful, it's been encouraging in so many applications, and uh, not the least of which is uh, Philippians uh, that we're about to get started. So thank you for that. Thank you for all your grace and all your glory, Father. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.